This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. I'm Wang Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. In 2023, PwC's global revenue was a record 53.1 billion US dollars, which is close to 12% growth in what is a challenging and competitive environment. In fact, their growth lagged behind the big four rivals as Deloitte and EY grew by 15 and 14% respectively. Against that backdrop, our clients watching their costs amid the economic slowdown, whilst M&As declined due to the high interest rate environment. But how is business at PwC? PwC Malaysia. Are they able to buck the trend and how do they intend to differentiate themselves? Questions we pose to Suhu Kunyan, their managing partner. Thank you for joining us again, Suhu. We last spoke during the pandemic. Nice to have you actually in the studio for a change. So first off, I want to ask you, what is the outlook for PwC Malaysia in 2024? Are all the three broad segments, audit, advisory, tax and legal services showing growth? Uh, first and foremost, good morning and thank you for having me again here. Okay, so as, uh, from what I understand in 2024 is that whilst there are sen- uh, sense, sense of economic slowdown, but certainly I do think that I am still very optimistic about the outlook, not just for the firm, but also for the business as a whole. Okay, because you did have a PwC annual global CEO survey, right? 27th. Now, it pointed out that for Asia-Pacific, 45% of CEOs are anticipating a decline. So are you not concerned when your own survey shows that perhaps bosses themselves are a little bit less optimistic? Well, they're a little bit less optimistic, but I can see that many CEOs are trying new things to ensure that they are able to uh, punch above their weight. And that includes a firm like ours as well. Okay, so you don't think it's going to be harder to persuade clients to pay for services? Or perhaps do you see more competition for every deal that comes to your table? Because I read in the Financial Times that for some jobs, competition is so intense for restructuring work, for example, that as many as seven to eight advisors are pitching. So do you see a similar landscape in Malaysia? And we've got some new consultants rolling up in town. Something we always welcome competitors. You do? But then isn't there a price war at the end of the day Not or service war? Yeah, so, so in my view, I think the question is also about value. And more importantly is that if you look at the trend today, more uh, the, with the business reinvention that uh, the businesses are experiencing, more people are looking for assistance mm. in many other ways. It's not just about uh, advice on uh, how to bring value to, the, to those companies, but it's also about advice on how do you manage costs in a much more efficient way. Restructuring itself, uh, given the cu- current economic landscape, you see more customers or more corporates coming across to look for advice surrounding how to restructure their business. So to me, I think the market is vibrant in, in our field. But the question is always whether who is the right team to be able to service those uh, markets. So what makes you the right team? What makes PwC the choice? Because there's, you know, you can always go to sometimes even investment bankers or consultancies like Bain, McKinsey. Why choose PwC? Well, in my mind, I think there are many ways to skin the cat. Mm. It all depends on, uh, it's all about bespoke sol- solutions and also efficient delivery. 
Okay. And uh, do you then see consultancy being, or advisory having a greater role in terms of contribution towards PwC Malaysia revenue? Because I have no line of sight when it comes to, to your figures. After all, your new global head, Muhammad Kande, is an engineer turned consultant first. So will they be more focused on this segment going forward? I have to say is yes and no, because... Mm. Of- uh, I think the obvious traditional answer is that there are more potential in the advisory space. But if you were to forward look uh, in three to five years from now, and even as we speak today, there are more and more demand for independent validation. And independent, independent validation work is based on the foundation of a strong financial audit practice. So in my mind, the the skills and the credibility that we ha- and reputation that we have gained from the financial audit practice will transform into new area of services in terms of providing independent assurance in many aspects of other parts of business. So it sounds like you're not a fan of a breakup and we'll come to that in a moment <laughs> later on. Uh, but I want to talk about audit, exactly that, right? And that's intense competition. Of course, you've got KPMG, EY, Deloitte, all in the same field. But, you know, when I read annual reports, and I have no choice in my line of work, I see the likes of BDO, Crow, Grant Thornton, Baker Tilly. But what what surprises me is that 95% of all public listed companies are audited by these names. Are you all, is there friendly competition or would I dare say almost a cartel since you, you eight firms swallow up the bulk of the business? I think that's a very dangerous <laughs> statement to make. I don't think there's any oligopoly, definitely for sure, because I think it's all based on free market. But what you can see generally is the result of uh, the evolution of the audit practice. Mm. Even if you look at audit itself, the investment a firm needs to make to ensure that you're able to achieve the quality that is expected of the capital market is by far a lot. Even as I think this is a public uh, public information, the next generation audit, like a firm like ours, that we need to invest is close to almost a billion US dollars. Okay, so, and so it requires so, really yes, deep pockets, right? That's right. So not many organizations or firms will be able to meet those demands okay, so easily. Related to this is comments by the Security Commission's uh, Malaysia's Audit Oversight Board, AOB. So they have basically urged in Malaysia auditors to uphold a higher level of audit quality and invest in adequate resources. But they also note that complexity of po- portfolios have posed challenges to firms' audit planning, judgment and execution, especially in managing and identifying potential risk areas. So I want to know how does PwC ensure that they check and tick those boxes? Well, now it's going beyond the check and tick boxes <laughs> nowadays. So even if you look at, give you give, just to give you a little bit insight into like things like the next generation audit that we look up, look to, yeah, it's very much dependent. Uh, it's a very much uh, investment into or application of AI, uh, global data, and also new tools to be able to do the audit effectively on a real time basis. So the uh, audit practice itself. It's changed. not no longer backward looking, but it is, is it? Uh, can it almost be forward looking? Can you almost not pre-end? necessarily? I don't think I don't I don't think that will be the case. But it's more of making sure that you are able to. For example, for example, mm. in a manual process, when you have a company with millions of transactions, the most you can do is on a sampling basis. But with data auditing, you can now do hundred percent tests. So the level of assurance potentially can be increased exponentially. And that, in turn, also create 
an additional expectation from the board, the audit committee and also the regulators. Okay, but this also requires a certain level of talent aside from using AI, I'm sure, right? Uh, but the AOB then notices that uh, the average staff turnover rate for auditors is 31% in 2022. I'm sure this is a high number by anybody's standard. So who's to blame for this? Is it being overworked or are accounting regulations too complex and ever-changing that it drives away talent? Well, I think it's a combination of a few factors. Structurally, as you know, that we have war for talent. The ta- war for talent is not restricted to auditing profession. Accounting people with accounting profession uh, degree may not necessarily want to be auditors. Mm. More so, if you look at the global trend, the attractiveness of going into finance and accounting has been trending down. You speak to uh, people or, uh, in the in the US market and even Malaysia, we have about. 10 to 15% reduction in terms of university intake for people wanting to join the accounting profession. So I, that is a trend that we need to stem. How are we going to do that though? Because in Malaysia, there are only 38,500 members of the Malaysian Institute of Accountants, right? And apparently we need something like 60,000 and that was supposed to be the number in 2020. So how can we make accountancy a profession of choice? Is it because there's this perception that you work your auditors to death, they have long hours, poor pay. I know now pay has increased to 4,000. I hope you're paying that too. Of course. Yeah. Of course, many people say that's to overcome the the fact that you didn't want to pay them over time. But never mind. So how can we bring prestige back to this profession? So a couple of reasons, right? One one couple of uh, combinations. One is that for a start, the profession need to get together to try to invest time in encouraging students and also show the students uh, that accounting profession is not a dead one. Mm. Because if you read in the social media, there are so many literature, so much literature surrounding saying that AI will take over the accounting profession. So if you are an uh, incoming student, you think twice. But if you were to look closely at what accounting profession can offer in terms of career path, and of course, internally as a as a firm or within the industry, we need to redefine what accounting profession is. We need to redefine the, and focus on the training on areas that do not necessarily can be replaced by AI. For example, subject, subjective judgment, mm. human cognitive skills. So what is PwC doing that? Uh, how are they doing that? Because in your annual report for 2022, it stated that the greatest asset is your people. So how do we know that statement goes beyond lip service? Is your turnover rate lower than industry average? Currently, I think if you, you, you were to use 31% as a benchmark, for sure that we have been uh, in, at a lower, uh, lower than that for, okay. for a start. But are you concerned that whoever you train, how much time you spend on them, there's ultimately this thing called brain drain. And then they move over to Singapore, Hong Kong, London, Australia, where they do the same work for much more pay. Can we stem that problem? I think we can because there are many people who want to live in places like Malaysia because of various reasons like family personal re- and other personal reasons. Mm. I think the onus is on us to create the right work environment for people to stay. You can't... You can't uh, force the people you can't force people who want to leave so there but is definitely you can attract and try to motivate people who want to stay to so continue to stay in Malaysia so is there work-life balance at PwC no Not long hours just before you know deadlines of audits so something define work balance for me <laughs> I, think, work, I yeah. personally think it's elusive, <laughs> but for some people, it is, it is something that they want. 
So it all depends on what you want, right? If you mm. want a nine to five job, I think realistically it won't necessarily happen in any profession, including the legal practice, including the medical practice. But my point is that if people who who wants uh who are prepared to work to gain new knowledge, but at the same time have a firm that provides a environment where they can take breaks uh, when it's due. And for example, uh, even during the peak period, like now in the first three months of the year, we have always encouraged our people to go back by 9 p.m. 9 p.m.? Okay. 8 to 9 p.m., right? <laughs> no, the- peak period, huh? this is peak period, not the whole year. 8 to 9 p.m., at the very, at the very least, they can get home safe. So these are some of the things that we have improvised to ensure that we are able to uh, continue with the people engagement and meet the expectation or the aspiration of our uh, work colleagues. On the breakfast grill today is Suhu Kunyan, managing partner of PwC Malaysia. After the break, how does PwC intend to resolve issues of conflict, or is that impossible? No thanks to the partnership model it adopts. BFM eighty nine point nine. You are listening to the breakfast grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill when the hot seat this morning is Suhu Kunian, Managing Partner of PwC Malaysia. Before the break, is talent recruitment and retention the biggest challenge for this accounting firm or is it actually the competition? Now, Suhu, I want to stay on people because Mm, I've been reading that PwC UK has told its staff to expect smaller pay rises and bonuses, if not freezes, while it will also delay promotions in its graduate scheme. Perhaps this is more on the consulting side of the business, but Malaysia, are we also going to experience this jump from great resignation to the big layoff if the outlook actually gets a little bit darker and a bit more gloomy? Well, I think for a start, we have never have any plans to have any layoff. I don't think that any of the firms in Malaysia are thinking of that simply because for a start, as you just mentioned, we Mm. are already short of talent. I think on the contrary, we want to keep talent. You talk about, if you speak about challenges of talent, it's not just about talent recruitment or talent retention. I think the main challenge for us as a, as a profession is about talent development. Mm. Because if you were to look at the skills that are required of a typical professional of tomorrow, five years from now, it's very different from what you see 10 years ago when you, what you need to learn is discipline, ticking the box, and learn the skill of checking. Yeah. But today, you have to learn cognitive skills. You do have the subjective judgment. You have to learn how to use data tools to be able to execute your job effectively. And this, the challenge for us is that these skills are not being developed when they are in the universities. So they come to you. This and means, you have to learn it. Exactly. They have to learn it. This means the firms have now got to invest a lot more to bring them up to speed. Okay, and you're doing that currently? It wasn't a choice. <laughs> okay, uh, but in the meantime, let's look at the services provided by all accounting firms. It's clearly evolved. The business model is now multidisciplinary, but it comes with its own set of issues. Conflict being the primary one, especially questions over audit versus consultancy. Which is more important? Who leads what? Which trumps? Which department trumps over which department? So how is this addressed at PwC Malaysia? So maybe instead of speaking about how is it addressed internally, let's mm. speak about how the market has been shaped. Today, what you expect to see is the market, all the clients have to choose 
whether they want the firm to be an independent validator or as an advisor. You can't have both. Yeah. You can't have both. Many audit com committees, many board have already have that expectation. And there is a lot more of education we need to uh, make with the board to ensure that they are able to see the need to have a difference in terms of who they want as an independent validator and advisor. And this will essentially make, uh, if you look from the firm perspective, I have two segments of clients. One... Are your audit I, clients. Audit clients or clients that want us to be to give independent views mm. as compared to a set, another set of completely different set of clients who look to us for advice. So you never have, you never provide both sets of services at we PwC? Do, we do. So Incre how do you manage that then? Increasingly, we, we have to split. Right? We, we, so you we, turn we, away business? No, internally, we have a set of guidelines to show where we can and we can do for both. So how do we Depends know those on the set of, of guidelines are robust yes. enough? Because, I mean, you know, people say we have Chinese walls, but they could be very paper But it's thing. not just about Chinese walls. It's also about whether the scope of work will, will lead to a self-review threat, for example. Mm. So if we think that it does not, then I think it's possible to do the work. Okay, so this goes back a little bit to governance, which I'll come to in a minute. But your US colleagues are planning to give up tens of millions of consulting work for its audit clients to reduce conflict of interest. Have you already done so? Have you said no to some business? Oh, we definitely have done so uh, for some business in, in, in this case. There is a lot of advisory work that uh, our audit clients farm out and we have rejected and we have decided not to pursue. Just because you just could not yes, see? Yes, it doesn't because it doesn't fall within the acceptable guidelines internally. Now, does this then mean, we talked about this just a minute earlier on about, you know, the potential splitting of audit versus advisory. And I think everyone remembers Project Everest EYs. Uh, they spent 600 million US dollars on this and it of course failed. Very, It was a public failure. So are you keen or in your mind, do you think this is not a good idea? It's never a good idea for an accounting firm to split up its divisions. I think, Sonia, this is a interesting topic because mm. the market and the regulators may see differently from firms. Regulator, if, if you look from the market perspective, the easy way out is to split it. Because to them, to They're the market, all legal, separate legal as entities, long as right? you have uh, conflict of interest address, this is the easiest way to address conflict of interest. But what it fails to address is about having skill sets. Today, a cyber person can do independent validation at the same time, can also do advisory work. Many often, more often than not, you find that even in the traditional financial audit space, increasingly you need people with strong and deep IT skills. Maybe in developed countries, you have the ability to, or at the depth of talent, to have people who are just keen to do audit support work, even though you are an IT specialist. Mm. In a place where we have talent shortage, Really? You you think that we can able to find talent just to do financial audit from the IT space? I think it will be a bridge too far. So the biggest challenge in my mind is that as long as financial audit requires a lot other skills other than the accounting and finance profession, 
it is just not feasible. But what about the possibility of then outsourcing what you need or outsourcing the specialist skills that you do require? You can, Sonny. That comes with a cost. Is the market prepared to pay for that? Well, until the next financial scandal where there's another conflict of interest. We can't afford to wait for that, right? Is the market prepared to pay for that? And you think at this juncture, clients are not? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, But then is the issue then, not just the potential conflict of interest, but the lack of governance. For example, your own house rules when it comes to conflict of interest. How do we know that it meets a certain standard? There are no public standards that are are available. It's not like there's a rule book, like an SE guideline, you look it up and we know what we're supposed to do, right? So how do we know PwC has the right measures in place? Because to be fair, you had a recent tax scandal in Australia and I'm sure there was a bit of a reputation uh, burn as a result for it. So what do we know at PwC Malaysia? What, what What governance is there? I think a few things that you may want to consider. One is that that in any business, there's always room for improvement. For in sure. our case, I think the Ziggy report is a good uh, wake-up call, not just for the firm like ours, but also the entire profession. There is a need to ensure, for example, we, we are supposed to be best in class in advising clients on how Every to have the best Every accounting governance. firm will yeah? say that though. Yes. I think is the chance now is to apply those uh, benchmark to ourselves. I think to me, that is absolutely important. Would you ever make it available like publicly in terms of what your governance standards are? Like what, you know, these guidelines I'm sure you have internally to to clients so that everyone knows what is, you know, what's expected of a PwC accountant? Actually, in the audit committees, Mm. many times we actually have a conversation surrounding that. To clients also? Yes, of course. So they are they know. They, they, they will ask specific. Some will ask specific questions, and we will deal with it, and we will explain what we have uh, internally to ensure that the level of governance is uh, expected of a, a professional firm like ours. Okay, so you know the scandals happen to all accounting firms. To be fair, then the question is, how do you hold management to account? And is that impossible? Because in the first place, it's accounting firms work on a partnership model in that owners, managers and major producers are the one and the same. Yeah, but we have a, we, it's likewise, we have an accountability framework uh, that is uh, designed by the network that is imposed on all the firms. Mm. So we do expect a certain level of accountability framework, including myself. Yeah, but you check on each other versus uh, someone external checking on you in some, some cases, right? Not necessarily so. We have... Or the oversight board. If you look at the requirement of today's practice, they they are or the oversight board doesn't look at the uh, the files or the files alone, but they also look at the practice. Would you consider having that ex- external chair, which I think PwC Australia is considering? We will look into that. <laughs> okay, and very quickly, I noticed from your annual report, there are four years strategic plan ends this year. So, very consulting language was used in the previous one. Quality growth, <laughs> building trust and quality, future ready, digital. So, in the minute that you have left, what's next for PwC in the next four years? So, who, what are your goals? Continue to diversify our portfolio of business. Be number one in Malaysia? Are not you number necessarily. One? Number one doesn't mean everything. Okay, so maybe you're not number one. What else is there? Not necessarily we are not number one, but number one is not everything. 
On that note, <laughs> thank you for your time today on The Breakfast Grill with Suhu Kunyan, Managing Partner of PWC Malaysia, Muang Shangning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.